0: This is episode 102 with Sherry Heinisch. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. In this intimate and provocative episode, I'm joined by an award-winning supply chain influencer, someone that really doesn't need an introduction, but you might know her as the supply chain queen or IBM's global practice leader for sustainable supply chain, circularity, and social impact. My guest is an award-winning supply chain influencer and the host of the Supply Chain Revolution podcast. It's with great pleasure that I introduce you to Sherry Heinisch. Sherry is a phenomenal woman that I admire. She helps customers design and build supply chains of the future that empower the human experience, strategically champion stewardship, and create change that is impactful, equitable, viable, and profitable. The agenda for today's podcast is all things sustainability, circularity, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're going to be discussing what's stopping companies from making environmental and social sustainability a key business priority and how they can crack down on their goals to drive real progress. We're also going to be getting a personal glimpse into Sherry and find out why DEI is a major passion and the story behind how she became the supply chain queen. I could speak to Sherry for hours and I look forward to sharing this interview with you. Let's do this have someone that really needs very little introduction in this space you know we have got the supply chain queen sitting here with the podcast with us so like if you have just crawled under a rock from under a rock and don't know what supply chain is then you won't know who uh, sherry Heinisch is if you'd like to know a little bit more about her sherry why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself thanks for being here hi maria thank you so much for having me uh
1: I love supply chain. I think that supply chains have the power to change the world and connect people and solve the enormous tasks that are in front of us around climate action and really bridging inequities that we've built into our, not only our supply chains, but into our
0: societies and our world. So super happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, you know, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different things, things that are passion projects of yours and so forth. But first of all, why don't we start talking about the fact that, you know, you're a key influencer in this space and you're a passionate advocate of diversity, inclusion, sustainability and circularity. But when did you start your journey, you know, in supply chain and, and when was the supply chain queen brand born? Yeah, so I I hate to break the news, but supply
1: chain was not a first career choice for me. It's probably a third or fourth career, and I actually fell into supply chain. So it's interesting because when people see my background, they're like, wow, you have it all figured out. Like, can you give me any career strategy advice? And I'm like, it's sort of a series of things that didn't work out and somehow all came together. And supply chain did that for me. I started as a musician and artist. I was in real estate. Um, And there are a lot of similarities between music and supply chain that might not be intuitive if you're not a musician. But when you think about, you know, the essence of voice of the customer and the cadence and orchestration and bringing it all together and really driving a narrative, um, the value of values and a lot of that comes through. Um, not only in songwriting and performing, but then also in broad ecosystem orchestration across supply chains. Um, I started the Supply Chain Queen brand. Again, another story of failure that was a tremendous opportunity to make an impact and change something in my own personal life. Five and a half years ago, like some of the folks tuning in, I felt trapped in my career in a hierarchy I was doing the work. And frankly, I reached an inflection point where I found out that a male coworker was being paid significantly more than me. And we were doing the same job. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Maria, I did what everyone does. I updated my LinkedIn profile yeah. <laughs> uh, with the only professional picture I had, which was cutting out like a headshot from my wedding album. <laughs> um, Yeah. And, and I had like a hundred connections at the time I showed up at an executive recruiter's office with that standard 12 point times new Roman resume in hand. Yeah, And, um, yeah, I didn't stand out, Uh, you know, I'm talking to her five minutes goes by and she's, she's looking down at the resume and she's looking at me and she's just like, stop. You're great, but I don't get any of this from your resume. And it was it was really hard. Um, you know, because for so long I tried to normalize what made me unique because yeah. I was told that that was what corporate America wanted. That was what an executive was forever. And I was very upset. You know, I come home, my husband hands me a glass of wine and and he he said, "You should start posting on social media." and um i knew nothing about it i didn't even have like a twitter account or an instagram account i'd never even taken a marketing class and i was like super skeptical of posting anything and and it was funny because he he said to me look i'll open the accounts for you let's 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 call the account the handle supply chain queen and of course i was like absolutely not but this was (laughs) (laughs) a. This was, you know, I felt really uncomfortable stepping out on that ledge, even posting anything. And it was a nickname that folks had called me. Um, I was actually getting my first master's degree at Rutgers. Clients, colleagues called me that. And I was like, well, And And I did it. And I took the risk. I was ready for the change. And I did something that made me fundamentally uncomfortable. And it was interesting because in that process of highlighting and leaning into what made me different. So having a unique value proposition, differentiating myself, I really found my voice. And I realized yeah. that I had spent so many years on the sidelines.
0: So, so many years in a box, in a box, it sounds like, you know?
1: Yeah, in a box, in a box. And it's it's been an amazing journey. You know, it started from like, wanting to stand out and mm-hmm. land the job job of my dreams and make more money. And at some point along the way, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about, about this, you know, sharing your experiences, it really built fellowship and community. And I heard, I've heard from tens of thousands of people from underrepresented groups in STEM communities and supply chain specifically where they just said, yes. And, and it went from like, you know, job focus, and a point of view, and shaping market shaping and, and, and sort of be trying to become a thought leader to really wanting to make an impact in people's mm-hmm. lives. And I think that that's really the magic and what sort of guided me towards sustainable supply chain and
0: circularity and all the things that we're going to unpack today. The word you just used there, the magic. Do you know what I mean? It just is so powerful when you get an opportunity to actually do what you're passionate about and make a difference in the world as well while you're at it. Um, I wanna take a moment to play a clip from one of your videos here. You know, it's on your website and you describe your journey. Um, we're gonna play it now. Part
1: of the algorithm that underpins who you are. So I would really encourage everyone, if you aren't on social media, please get on social media and start evangelizing why women in supply chain are needed, important, and add value beyond any measure.
0: Right. So you share a really powerful call to action here. So you're inviting people to encourage more women to leverage social media, to speak up about the women in supply chain. So to what extent do you think companies um, who fail to recognize the importance of attracting diverse talent uh, and giving them a voice are making a big mistake and missing out? You're making a mistake if you're listening to this and you don't embrace not only uh,
1: diversity and inclusion, but creating equitable spaces. So equality is not necessarily equity. And we're going to talk about that. I I think from just my own observations in the past 10 years, even the past 12 months, representation just isn't enough. It's a first step. Mm -hmm. But what I find the most impactful is being intentional in how you hire Um, for most of my career, I've been the only woman in the room, often the youngest. And Mm -hmm. I know what it feels like to be in and observe the echo chamber. Mm -hmm. Same ideas, same point of view, same old same. And when you think about the power of diversity, it yields divergent thinking. So Mm -hmm. diversity comes in all form. I know you said women specifically, but I, I look at, you know, gender ethnicity, age, neurodiversity, socioeconomic journey. And I can go on, but the point is really being intentional, setting out to design and cultivate this type of team where you're bringing the best of all these worlds together in this perfect harmonious Venn diagram. And in the compelling business case, it's been proven that diverse teams outperform competitors, both through the lens of gender and ethnic diversity, But it's also better for your customers. Do your employees represent the communities you serve? Mm -hmm. Do you come from a place of empathy, from design to operate and really capture that essence of pain points and how your team uniquely fills an unmet need? And I think that, you know, I've certainly been a champion um, for new collar skills at IBM because in my own journey, I've experienced that talent's everywhere and access is not. I'm a first generation College student. Neither one of my parents went to school. Um, I I was a smart girl. I was curious. I didn't have the money, you know. I didn't have the network. I didn't know how to get started. And a lot of these, um, a lot of folks that I meet, they're in the same position. So, um, you know, you I think that you also have to think about do you really need someone with a degree specifically in your your field of expertise where i was just you- gonna
0: say that i was just gonna say that because we talk you know divergent thinking is also embracing people from different backgrounds you know from a startup background or from a different type of um, i guess journey that they've had you know that that's that's a really valid point there yeah and i'm gonna get provocative. if i love it love it bring <laughs> it on bring it okay. on that's why okay. That's it.
1: So I, I, I have worked with a ton of super smart people, um, PhDs, checking the boxes with pedigree. Mm-hmm. And I think that the mess we're in right now and this huge opportunity requires learners, mm-hmm. not a room full of knowers. Mm-hmm. And the 300 years of collective experience that people have in a room yeah, you've designed the two biggest threats facing humanity in our planet mm-hmm. <laughs> the climate emergency yeah. and social inequities that are really destroying humanity in the world we share. And I think that you'd really be surprised, Maria, what happens when you create this safe space for all to diverge and participate in radical collaboration, you know, leaving egos, titles, where you went to school. At the yeah. door. And, and that's a non-negotiable in my hiring strategy and how I build diverse teams.
0: And you know what? And giving giving people an equal voice to be able to give ideas, fail safely, you know, et cetera. I think what, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and over and over and expecting a different result. It feels like that's what we've been doing with these homogenous groups of people, you know, with the same background, with the same voice, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, Right.
1: Yeah, and, and that's a brilliant uh, call out because I think, you know, once once you're through the door, once you, you know, hire someone from a diverse background or an underrepresented community, how are they nurtured? How are they championed? Mm-hmm. How are they promoted? How are they given opportunities? And we have to essentially unlearn and collapse a lot of the legacy ways of working in many cases that stem from that 1984 workplace design playbook. So, mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, encouraging flexibility aligned to personal and professional needs. You have to be intentional and you have to sponsor that future pipeline of diverse leadership. So this can include things like reverse mentoring, leadership development, clear promotion guidelines and loosening the reins on on job descriptions. Because I'll raise my hand. How many times has anyone listening passed on an opportunity because you haven't checked every box on a job description? Yeah. and I you're mean, missing it,
0: you're you're missing someone out you know with great talent great experience because they didn't have a four-year degree or they don't have a masters or uh you know they didn't go to that college over that college or they get that degree no i think you're you're absolutely right and but i think the the question was and i want what i want to focus on is the big mistake that companies are making i mean you said that at the beginning you were very clear you couldn't have been clear you yelled it out you are making a big mistake uh so do you think that enough companies are embracing this kind of thinking, or do we have a long way to go?
1: We have a long way to go. Uh <laughs> one
0: little step at a go. time.
1: Yeah, let, let let me let me let me tell you why. I think um so you know, there's a difference between posting on the walls uh, of the hallways where you where you operate and LinkedIn posts. There's no shortage of these things, but it's really what's tucked underneath. Yeah. Um fundamentally asking who's missing in the room. And I think that, you know, that, that is what I have seen the root causes. How are we rewarding and incentivizing the right behaviors? And what, what often happens is the illusion of inclusion. And when you lift up the rug, like you mentioned, there's a total disconnect. It's business as usual. Um, I've chatted several times with actually a guest on your podcast, um, Dirk Hallback, who's at Hinkle. And again,
0: he, he's got a fence. Yeah, I know. He's
1: he's an amazing champion. He's an amazing
0: champion of it. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. Yeah. And you need champions. That's what I'm saying. It needs to come from the top. And I think that's what you're alluding to. It needs to have buy-in from the top and have real commitment.
1: Yeah, but you also have to be pragmatic and set the mark. So you have to measure and have targets and it doesn't have to be exact, but without accountability Mm -hmm. and a roadmap and then also incentivizing the right behaviors. What we both have found that folks can folks can fall back into some of those legacy behaviors. Exactly, exactly. And then creating, you know, creating programs that actually we talked about women specifically bring them back in the workplace I COVID has highlighted, we lost 5 million women in North America alone. There are for sure barriers mm-hmm. to family yeah. sustaining career progression. So yeah. emphasizing skills over degrees, having open education and apprenticeship programs, I think also are key to position folks for success. It's also a pathway for breadth and STEM and supply chain and certainly um, I work for a company that's done a tremendous job in providing that sort of opportunity uh, for women in the workplace.
0: Let's let's move on to a topic that you're really passionate about as well, which is sustainability and circularity. Yeah, I mean, uh, only recently you were featured on the front cover of Supply Chain Digital's supply, uh, Sustainability Magazine. I love the I love the picture. Really empowering. I loved it. I was like, yes. I think I gave you one of those high five. You know, two hands up, going, Queen, go, girl. Wearing um, all black. I loved it. I loved it. It was powerful. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, you're you, you class yourself or you you described yourself as an eternal learner and that you, you read about two to three hours a day to stay abreast of innovation, new trends, so forth. So um, what have you been reading lately around sustainability and circularity that's um, that's blown your mind or that's, you know, really exciting? Yeah, so
1: it's it's interesting because I. Uh, I am just pulled to learning. I just—it's kind of like my superpower, and and I am starting to realize that this, when we think about sustainability and circularity, it all stems from human behavior and choices. Yeah. And I, I spoke like late last fall with Dr. Yossi Sheffi, and we had a provocative exchange. And he told me this is a humans versus humans issue, and I don't know that I fully understood it at the time, but. And continuing to explore that, it is. I've been reading about living wage. Mm -hmm. And when we think about getting to the heart of sustainable sourcing and the root cause of defective behavior that creates a ton of risk and complexity, it really does come down to a lot of the inequities that we've designed in our global networks and in in the structures that define economic value. I think the other thing that I've been reading about too is the real cost of, of carbon and the how climate specifically impacts things across the 17 SDG SDGs. So when you when you look at let's say there are 169 targets, about 84% of the of of those targets are directly or negatively, positively reinforced in certain ways through climate change. And it's it's a people issue, it's a human issue. And I don't know that we've humanized the impact of climate and the social costs of, car- of carbon. So I've been reading a lot about that and thinking about how iterating to this lowest price mm-hmm. has, really, has really created externalized risk and that we fundamentally have to design that out of our supply chain. So that's a lot of the work that I'm doing at IBM, you know, creating offerings and then product interlock and ecosystem partnerships where we can Mm -hmm. design a better, brighter, sustainable, responsible, equitable world.
0: So, you know, just a little task that you've got on your plate. Really, you're not taking on much, which is which is good. I'm glad you're taking a little task like that on. Um, Keeps you busy, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's a lot. (laughs) it's a lot it's a lot um i think you're gonna you know you're gonna have to change your title from supply chain queen to you know really just in general supply chain really because it's it's all about the supply chain strategy let me let me let me expand on what i mean I interview a lot of people, as you can appreciate, as do you. And we talk about sustainability and there's a great interest in it. There's a great, a lot of talk about it. And some companies are saying they're doing a lot of things and some companies are sort of doing a lot of things. Um, But there's this failure to really take ownership, to implement sustainability into the strategy, into into the DNA of supply chain in every aspect. In everything that everything that the sun touches, you know, is is got to be implemented into the sustainability. Sustainability has got to be implemented in supply chain strategy. Now, as a passionate sustainability and circularity advocate, why do you think companies are hesitant to? And here's the word operationalize their sustainability goals. That is such a
1: great question, and it is a timely question. Uh, And if I can, again, I come from industry, so I've actually worked in a supply chain. I'm not a legacy consultant. I work for a technology company, but I also understand the digital divide and that supply chains are not run on laptops. So that being said, I think the reason why companies are hesitant oftentimes is because they don't know how to get started. And like you mentioned, connecting the strategic and operational goals and horizons, they can frankly sit in different functional parts of an organization. So even if you have industry imperatives uh, locked down and you have your materiality sorted, you know, and you're reporting against some of the ESG frameworks and publishing those non-financial disclosures, I think it's really hard to tell, are you making progress or are you just incremental box checking? Um, And this is hard stuff. I mean, we have a hard enough time. I'm going to go back to human behavior because that is fundamental to this journey. We have a hard enough time making small changes in our personal lives. Yeah. I'm just going to share an example. I've been trying to lose 15 pounds for years. (laughs) I love good food. I enjoy my life. I love my family. And it has a direct health impact to me. I had a health challenge earlier this year. Now, if you go back, Um, let's just say exploring at 10,000 feet, close your eyes and imagine all the handoffs and trade-offs across a value network, all the actors, up to 85% of those ESG impacts happen in a supply chain by design. Mm. The question is not necessarily operationalizing. I think the first question is, how do we get people to understand those interconnections and cooperate? so mm-hmm. it's it's visualization quantification and influencing change behavior and i think with sustainability and circularity you know people think it's either or when it's it's additive you know if mm-hmm. if you add m and e on the end of that you get more mm-hmm. <laughs> and and i'm mm-hmm. sure that you know most folks listening know about the push for net zero mm-hmm. but it, it's it's again the most common question i get is how do we start? Where do we start? How do we align across networks connecting the last mile and the first mile in a supply chain? And we have tons of pledges, um, but when when we double click on the focus, um, and I can share some information um, from IBM, about ha- half of the organizations that we've surveyed through the Institute for Business Value very recently find that, that typically, um, Focus areas center on climate action, responsible production and consumption, clean energy, health and well-being, creating decent work environments, and then also partnerships for scale. Those areas are most material because what you'll find is organizations um, who have humanized those connections between green operations, which is very familiar to supply chain leaders, Mm -hmm. and stewardship. With gender equity, zero hunger, access to education—it's really that marriage of the environmental side and then also social sustainability mm-hmm. within corporate reporting. Um, I think that 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 is inherently difficult.
0: It's daunting. It's a daunting task. I think that's probably why people are asking, "Where do I start? How do I do this?" It's it's scary. There's they're maybe scared of lifting the hood and finding that they're not going to like what they see below it right you know and that that's that's a scary thing
1: it, it is and you know the number one question is what is a sustainable supply chain why should I care well, yeah
0: <laughs> and well, I can well, share a point
1: of view on that too if well, you, like. well
0: this leads to my next question actually which is you know it's actually going to lead to to where we're going which is okay a sustainable supply chain is it a nice to have or do you think we're coming to the point where it's becoming business critical it's an imperative
1: it's an imperative. I mean, uh, turn is, on it a imp-
0: is it a moral <laughs> imperative? Is it a commercial imperative?
1: Yeah. So, so let me just, let me just start with what is a sustainable supply chain uh, in, in my point of view, you have purpose as a North star. So you're driven inherently by purpose um, and you use the sustainable development goals as a roadmap. Okay. So a sustainable supply chain will fundamentally align the SDGs at the intersection of people, planet, profit, okay? But then those interconnections, what we see at the intersections form a basis of what is responsible, transparent, equitable, and profitable. So there is a business case for change. And I think that what happens is people get so caught up in incrementalism and I'm just going to say it, net zero transformation that they missed the opportunity to move beyond footprints and create social impact. So these are the handprints, the change behavior, how are you moving the needle toward a regenerative economy? And it's not just enough, you know, to check the box and lower your your emissions across the value network and in your own operations. Um, and, And what happens is, when we talk about sustainable supply chains and why it's a business imperative, we already know that responsible production and, con- and consumption, climate action, renewable energy, partnerships, um, life on land, life underwater, all of these things are critical. But it's really, you know, it's more than that because sustainable supply chains provide credibility. Yeah. You know, you're strategically managing risk you're creating healthy ecosystems that are transforming the lives of people to leave no one behind and I think that that's good that's what I that's what I love about this because it's a human issue and I yeah. think I think that the digital divide by nature and the physicality of supply chains it means that technology has to become a conduit for scale and impact and provide the data and the insights in the proof of documented performance, that's going to foster the type of trust and brand love and reliance on science for stewardship. So it is a business imperative. We have tons of, um, you know, uh, regulatory compliance, TCFD, uh, SASB. I think there's a move for, you know, being really clear on the impacts of of plastic and paper waste across the supply chain when you look at you know, cross-border carbon adjustment tax and tons of things that are coming down the pipe, tax on virgin material use, all of these things are gonna fundamentally disrupt how we've done business across global supply chains.
0: I also think that, you know, your customers are gonna start to demand far more, uh, far more accountability in this area. Your employees are gonna demand far more accountability in this area as millennials and Gen Z start to get more power within, you know. Uh, purchasing power, as well as being brought into businesses, their voice is much more powerful. So I agree with you. I think it's, 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 uh, it's an imperative. You talked about technology also, you talked about how uh, technology plays a big role in this. So let's talk about what kind of role do you think technology, but then also talent, what kind of role both do both of these aspects play in, you know, realizing ambitious sustainability goals.
1: Yeah. um, So long-term success, and, and realizing a lot of this, um, you know, when you think about brand relevance, I think that that's something that comes up a lot in customer conversations, customers, trading partners, investors, you mentioned associates who, who stand up your global supply chain, they really want to know how you're leveraging sustainability and social purpose mm. to drive ecosystem change. And I'll just I'll just pick on a th- a few concepts um, how technology can really help through the lens of net zero transition or climate action. So, you know, this means that you have to develop a way to systematically measure and report on stage one, two, and three emissions. You have to connect an ecosystem which is siloed, dirty. It's not pretty. And you have to connect it across all tiers of suppliers and their data that's available to you and yours and really lead the way toward ethical trade, being carbon water resource Mm -hmm. responsible, and technology is a great conduit for that. The other thing is exposing consumption data to employees and business partners. So like I mentioned, increase awareness, aiding in decision making, empowering really all stakeholders to change their behavior. I keep saying change behavior because there's a real value intention gap. Um, There's no shortage of studies that show that customers prefer and would even switch brands if they model um, sustainability or they incorporate sustainability in their business practices and their product design. Yet when you get to point of sale and consumption, that number gets very low. It can go from I've seen 84%, I've seen 70%, Right, but they defect typically depending on category, sometimes as low as 5% where they actually follow through with that value-based commitment. It could also be as high as 35% in category relating to um, typically like anything that's safety related, uh, children involving children, like food, uh, things of that nature. But I think what I'm finding again through IBM Food Trust, Farmer Connect, a lot of really cool innovation is you actually have to provide customers with that data so they can make informed decisions. Um, and there are ways that you can do that. You can use IoT and blockchain for traceability, um, really, um, consumption attribution. So gathering using an LCA approach, making sure that people understand how their purchase impacts the world we share, and then adding sustainability and social purpose into costing and pricing analytics. And then I think lastly, just to close, technology really helps people broaden targets and how they can take this broad set of you know, the sustainable development goals and then cascade that down specifically in calibrating ESG frameworks. So most of the time people will say, oh, we, we adopt the global goals. We have this broad vision. Yes, we wanna make an impact in the world in the decade of our lives, but it gets really murky <laughs> when you start double clicking on it. So technology can certainly help bring that calibration and alignment and then being able to clearly articulate it to trading partners and customers.
0: And then, and then bringing back, going back in a circle to where we started, talent—you know—bringing back the talent into uh, a, a perfect marriage of talent and technology and intention uh, would create the best opportunity for delivering results, right? Hundred percent. And I, I mean, I can
1: I can raise my hand here. Like I, 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 I went out on my own for twelve months because I said, you know what? I wanna get really clear on the values of the next employer, of the next company that I work for. That is fundamentally critical to me. When I wake up, I want to know that I'm a part of something larger and that the company that I represent and the customers I serve, they know that we're walking the talk in terms of our commitment to sustainability, equity in the workplace, Building equity in the world and social spaces, and I want to be proud of that. And I, I that's most important to me. And that's not that's not a decision grounded in money or compensation. I and I, a lot of
0: people are in the same. A lot of people in the same boat. You know, this isn't this isn't a novel thing. You know, this is not not to take anything away from what you're saying, but I think that's going back to the whole business imperative thing. A lot of people feel this way.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. The 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 folks that I. Um, that I hire on my own uh, high performing team, and then also a lot of the you know peers and and people yeah. that reach out. I mean this this is the new normal. This is this yeah. is the future of work um, for sure. And you have to be really clear because this is a this is a war on talent too. When we talk about some of the ambitions and things ahead for global supply chain leaders and fundamentally redesigning our world, you need a talent. And certainly, sustainability is, is a pathway to realizing some of those ambitions and, and getting the best talent on your team.
0: It's really powerful stuff. I'm gonna ask you one last question. One last question. What advice would you have for supply chain leaders that are listening here that are, you know, and I'll, I'm gonna put it in this way busy on their day to day, right? They're fighting fires, we're trying to get through this pandemic. They may not be where they wanna be with regards to their sustainability. Fight, you know, but they have ambition to do this. How can what advice do you have for them?
1: The business as
0: usual way of working must be
1: disrupted. Yeah. Uh, you know, in supply chains, yeah. there's no other function in the world, in my opinion. I'm a little biased, but you know, when you think about providing that documented truth from the field through to the last mile, how each material input and flow interacts with the world. I mean, if you want to get started, you really have to look at how you design things more closely mm-hmm. and, you know, product design, network design, designing your hiring practices, designing, um, you know, how you interact with trading partners, with customers, it's it's fundamental. And it's all those seemingly small decisions that make up the tapestry of change and what we need so using a lifecycle approach, I think um, starting to look at circularity, all of these shifts are very disruptive, but they're very profitable. And I'm, I'm seeing biz benefits and business cases become very clear real time with some of my own clients and CPG and retail specifically. Also with IBM is client zero. So uh, we actually have a supply chain. It's pretty mm. kick ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that folks need to recognize is the ability to meet a lot of these supply chain sustainability goals are tied to others meeting theirs. So you really need to start collaborating, um, organizing around material issues, and how you can partner at scale. Because it's not enough to have strategy; you have to. You mentioned operationalizing it. You have to bring others with you, and again, you know, we've built our supply chains to iterate to lowest cost, where all of that risk and those impacts of being unsustainable have been externalized, but that's changing. And when you have a conscious view of sustainable supply chain and finance, because a lot of this is a business case for change, and what's the cost of carbon? What's the cost of you know, water stewardship and resilient communities where you're polluting, it will come back. It's coming back to haunt you now. So so get really clear on what issues are most material to you. Organize under the Sustainable Development Goals. Get clear on what ESG frameworks you're going to adopt and, and, and use some of those frameworks to guide decisions in planning and orchestration And then also make sure at the end of the day that you're getting really clear on building a sustainable enterprise. So this change is also just as much about talent transformation and bringing people with you on your journey so you can have a kick-ass culture, the best talent in the world, um, helping you get, get there in your sustainable journey. And all of this, I think, is possible if you have purpose as a North Star.
0: Sherry, I want to thank you for being here, being part of this podcast. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. It's so inspirational. And I think, you know, people really need to just listen to you and take a page out of your book. And hopefully we can change supply chains, you know, as quickly as we can. Right. Because we need to. We don't have time. We're running out of time.
1: We're doing it. We're doing it.
0: I love it. (laughs) Thank you for being here, Sherry. You can look up Sherry on LinkedIn. You can reach, you know, get in touch with her. She's always here to help and listen to her podcast and listen to all the things that you've put out there. So uh, thank you very much for being here. Supply chain queen. Thank you, Maria. And also uh, thanks for
1: the shout out Supply Chain Revolution podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Exactly. Thank you very much. And for those of you listening, thanks and we'll see you soon. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.